You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives, how they got to where they are today, and how they get through the day today. Because I believe that our feelings of being enough, of being worthy, of being successful, of being fulfilled, being lovable are not out there somewhere. Once I have this job, meet this person, live here, have this much money in my bank account, then I will feel it. If we keep putting it outside of ourselves, we'll end up chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. It's up to us to claim it for ourselves every single day, sometimes every moment of the day. And that's why I love getting into all of these amazing people's life journeys. They didn't all just have it all figured out all the time. (laughs) So today we are talking to Katie Horwich. Well, I'm talking to her, but I like for you guys to feel like you're a part of this. So we, we are talking to Katie Horwich. She is a writer, speaker, mindset coach, activist, and the founder of Want Women Against Negative Talk. I have been a guest on her podcast and been featured on her website. I've known Katie for years, and I was so excited to get into her journey. So let's get to it. Hi, Katie. All right. Hi. I like to, if I know somebody for a while, then I like to talk with, start with talking about like how I met them. And I was first introduced to you, (laughs) I think back when I was maybe doing like the first piece with Chalkboard Meg. I think it was the first time I like collaborated and wrote for them. And you were on their editorial team, right? Yes. And I remember you sent us, I think it was your first or at least one of the first versions of your deck, your card deck. Yeah, because that's what's so that was huge. You guys featured it before it, it the, the I think the Kickstarter was done, but I had didn't even have like the actual like the yeah. actual thing was like, yeah, it was still being shipped to me or something like that. Yeah, that was huge. But so that was my first introduction to you. And so then I started to like follow you and get to know you and was like, wow, okay, because you're you had on your own women against negative talk is that how what it is fully and i was just like mm-hmm. well whatever that mm-hmm. is okay mm-hmm. like awesome like of course i'm going to be like yeah okay <laughs> um but then it was funny cuz i didn't realize it seemed like uh, i guess i don't know what the proper term would be like that you had been for a while already and are like a fitness professional would that be the right terminology yeah i i have done Throughout my life, I've, I'm kind of the person who's always done like at least three different things at the same time. Um, yeah, I've been in the fitness industry for now. Uh, I taught my very first class ever on a fluke in December 2007. So I guess it's about to be 13 years this winter. Um, so it's been a while. Yeah. So that was before I knew you. And it took me a couple years of like following you and being in your world before realizing like, oh, she does this too. And that seems like something she's been doing and she's awesome at. But like, I just didn't know that part of you. <laughs> so let's start with that because yeah. that seems like the earliest point of reference. But yeah, getting into the women's for negative women against negative talk, because obviously anybody that I feel like has a position like that or creates something like that, it's like, well, then you have a look. Or big story or reaction to like 
why you need to be promoting that in the world is usually like you've had something yourself that was like really affected by that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I think that with anybody, because I I hear a lot from people who are like, you know, I've gone through these things and I feel this way and I'm so inspired by your work or the work of of so-and-so. And I really want to start my own platform for helping especially women like boost their self-confidence or something in the empowerment realm. And something that I always tell people when it comes to starting something is I started want, I thought of want back in 2007. It was something, it was an idea that I had back when, you know, I I hadn't even started teaching yet. I was just, 2007 apparently was a big year. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, what happened in 2007? Well, and it was like November 2007. So I guess the like winter, winter 2007, I was really going through some sort of metamorphosis. But during that time, I was in the middle of the process of recovering from an eating disorder that I struggled with called orthorexia, which was not being talked about in 2007. There's a little more uh, familiarity with it now, I think because of the popularity of what's now become the wellness industry. Uh, But orthorexia, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, is basically an unhealthy obsession with health. And so it was something that it wasn't about the food. It wasn't about the exercise. Eating and body-related disorders rarely are. They're about something deeper. Um, but I had lived a life that was like many women. It was based in a lot of mixed messaging and a lot of pretending. And I came from a very, very loving, very supportive family. However, I was born as a woman in this world and identified as a woman in this world. And you don't need to be anything more than a woman walking through this world to know that every single day walking out the door, we, um, we are bombarded with not just messages from media campaigns and movies and television and billboards telling us that we need to be a certain way, look a certain way, act a certain way, but the language that we use to speak to one another not only is it is it the same language that we're using to speak to ourselves on the inside, but it's a language that is based in bonding over negativity, um, self-deprecation, and making ourselves smaller and smaller and smaller until we eventually, you know, are powerless and disappear. And so a lifetime of that as the perfectionist type A teenager that I was led to me going to college feeling like I was leading this life where I, on the inside, felt really confident. But at the same time, I was getting messages from the external world and from the people around me, not necessarily family, but just people around me, that confidence was not something that a woman was allowed to have out loud. That was something that was synonymous with narcissism or vanity. I mean, you even see it, especially in like those late 90s movies, like the teen movies, you see that the confident girl is usually the villain in the story. You know, confidence was something that was that you weren't supposed to have. But at the same time, I had this hyper self-awareness where there was a knowing inside of me that knew that I 
shouldn't give up my confidence. And I should be what I call the me that I, I know I'm meant to be. So living with that and not wanting to give that up along with, you know, just trying to survive in the world led me down this dark path that sort of culminated in my teenage years in this eating disorder. And so fast forward just a little bit when I realized that something was wrong with me because it was affecting my voice. I was a musical theater student and my teachers were calling me out on it. They were like, you literally do not have the, the body to support your breath right now while you're singing and it's affecting your voice. And that really freaked me out because my voice was really such an extension of who I was at my core. And so I knew that there was something wrong and I knew that I needed to, to get it under control and I needed to get to the other side of whatever darkness I was going through. And at that time, because it wasn't an eating disorder that was clinically recognized, there was literally one site that wrote about it it was the doctor who coined the term. I think it was made on like GeoCities or Angel Fire or one of those one of those servers. Like it was old, old, old. People were saying that I was crazy or I should just eat or it wasn't anything that was in the cultural lexicon yet. And so I sought out alternative therapies. I did my own work. And while I was in the middle of this process, I saw a commercial for the Dove Real Bodies campaign. It was the very first commercial. And I had noticed the way that other people, specifically women, talked to each other and the way that that affected me. That was very much a part of my recovery process to turn that hyper-awareness that I had always viewed as a weakness of mine and something that hurt me into a strength and using it to serve me. And so I used that hyper-awareness and realized that the way that people were talking amongst each other, the way that women were talking to each other, about each other, and about themselves was all through this negative lens that was everything from super emotional and self-deprecating to not even emotional at all and as flippant as saying like, oh, the sky is blue outside. So I saw this Dove Real Bodies commercial and I had three thoughts simultaneously. A, this is in 2007, so this is way before any sort of body positivity campaign is like a thing. So I saw this and it was revolutionary to me. And I thought, oh my God, this is so incredible. This advertisement is telling me that it's okay to love myself and to think I'm beautiful. Second thought was, well, what happens when I don't love myself? What happens when I don't feel like I'm beautiful? And then I thought, I should start something that gives women tips and tools to shift their self-talk, and I should call it WANT, Women Against Negative Talk. Like, it came to me in just this boom, boom, like, light bulb moment. But what ended up happening, going back to your question, what ended up happening was that I was so in the middle of my own my own process, that I had basically thought of the thing that I so needed at the time. And so what ended up happening is, I mean, I made a website, I wrote a manifesto, wow. I made t-shirts because at that time I was like, oh yeah, I was like, what do you do when you start a business? You make t-shirts. I, I was a theater kid. So every show that I was in, like it was never official until you had the swag. So 
So I like made all that. I made a little logo and then I didn't really know what to do with it because I was still searching for the answers myself. And I was not even sure what I knew, what I didn't know. And it's sort of like, it wasn't a hard stop, but it just sort of like fizzled into the background of my life. Now in that time, that was when I started to become more interested in writing. It's when I started a blog. It was back at the very beginning of what was, you know, the, I guess the blogging revolution back in the early 2000s. Um, and I started to realize that I was more passionate and felt more myself when I was in the group fitness environment, when I was teaching, when I was on a stage and I was being myself, not being a character. And I was really interested, like I think a lot of people who end up in the fitness and wellness industry are, I was really interested in the way that we are taught to view fitness, wellness, our body, our mind as all of these separate things. And I was interested in kind of like flipping that over and looking what was underneath and really exploring the internal what's and the why's behind and emotions behind all of this stuff that we are taught as women in what we now know as the wellness industry. And I think a lot of people who have struggled with eating disorders, body-relating disorders, fitness, like over-exercising, I think that they also become interested in that because once they reach a point where they're on the other side, it's sort of like this veil is lifted and you're like, oh my God, there's another way to be. So in that time, that's when I started working. I worked at a vegan restaurant in uh, Santa Monica called Real Food Daily. Uh, I was making the smoothies at the counter and I started teaching at different fitness studios, uh, just teaching indoor cycling. And I really started to immerse myself in what it meant to live what is not necessarily your best life, but live your life, live your fullest life. And what does that mean from a mind-body perspective? And so that led me to seeking out Press Juicery, which when they just opened, I had this gut feeling. I was like, this is so cool. I want to work for them. I went into their office. I was like, I have a blog. And they said, we're starting a blog. No, they said, we're starting an online magazine. I was like, I have no clue what makes that different from a blog, but I want to be a part of it. And I ended up on the editorial staff for chalkboard. And so fast forward, I've been there now for three years. I have this feeling again, much like I did when I was sort of transitioning out of acting and into what's the wellness mind body realm. I had this feeling of, I'm supposed to be doing more. There's more that I am supposed to be giving and there's more of me that is supposed to be living out loud. And at the time at chalkboard, I was writing I was writing the majority of the fitness content, but all of like the long form mind body, like essay type pieces. And I realized that not only did I love writing them, but people were really responding to them. And I was at home, I was watching a Brene Brown Ted talk, the very first one. And I had that light bulb moment, just like I did seven years before. So seven years have passed now. And it was like, oh, want. Want is the thing that I am supposed to be doing. And 
when it came back to me, I had realized that for those seven years, it had always been in the background. People always sent me links when it about a psychologist talking about your internal narrative and self-talk. And they'd always say like, Hey, like, this is so what to remember what and women against negative talk. So it always been there. And I realized at that point in time, so I had lived so much more of life to begin with. And I had become both certain in what I knew and what I didn't know. And I was willing to get super curious in both of those lanes. And I think a lot of times we think that when we are starting something that is aimed at empowering others, that we have to be the 24-7 leader. We have to be that all-knowing person. And what I actually think is more powerful is to lean into that question of, do I know this? What do I have to give? And then like embrace, embrace the not knowing and invite in and amplify other voices and create that community, create that collective so that whatever your mission is, it doesn't stop and end or start and end with you. It really can live on outside of you. Yeah, I have lots of questions. <laughs> but no, it's good. And I'm... Yeah. Hey, you told me before this to keep going. So I was just like, I'm going to tell it all. <laughs> no, I know. And I could have interrupted you. I could have interrupted you, but I was like, no. But no, that was um great. But yeah, covering that right there, like... I mean, and that's how I have always tried or aimed to be. And that was like when I first got back, I think I launched my blog maybe 2009. Yeah, the blog spot, like mm -hmm. blog spot blog. Yeah. And it was, it actually was still in the similar uh, format of how I share now is that I would write blogs about an aha that I had that moment and not like a, I am so amazing it would be like oh I had this shitty thought today or I had this shit experience today and instead of like I wanted to be mad about it or I was like oh my god I can't believe I thought that then it would I would you know I would share the shitty thought or the experience and then like my process in oh okay I am choosing this and the, at the time I think mm -hmm. the blog was like I am I am being so every every blog title is like I am being love or I am being grateful I am being a miracle, like whatever yeah. it was. So it was like taking people through the lesson. Right. And I, I sort of, I started it for me not to be like, everyone read my words. And I remember it being so nervous when people actually right, started right. to read it. Like I was like, oh wait, people found, people found my blog. Um, But yeah, but then people really resonated with that. And that's still the way that I share today is like, let me, so it's not from the like, yes, I am the joyologist. So like, I'm trying to tell you these things and I know these things and I'm this this sort of expert on these right. things because we need to say we're those things so that people will follow us and want information from us but also it's like no I'm a real human just like you yeah. I just might be quicker at seeing these things so like let me tell you this shitty thought that happened today <laughs> and how I turned it around right. like that's whatever but um yeah yeah but I think that can hold people back so much is this this like idea of like yeah you have to like have it all figured out or be perfect about things and it's like there is no there isn't there's never gonna be a figuring it all out or the perfect in this and that you can't share or guide or lead or teach until you're that thing like we put so much pressure on ourselves for impossibility <laughs> Yeah. Well, and oh my gosh, can you imagine if you're like, yep, I'm done learning. I know everything now. That would be, that that to me is is not a life that's worth living because you're not growing, you're not evolving. And there is so much 
to get curious about in this world. And that is part of what makes life exciting is that acting on your curiosity. And you look at people like, you know, like an Oprah, who I think that most people would say she is probably one of the most inspiring public figures that's out there. Um, People would say, you know, she even has a a whole column in her magazine saying like, what I know for sure. And, but even Oprah doesn't know everything for sure. She literally posted something on, um, I think Oprah Magazine posted on the Instagram the other day. It was like 20 things Oprah does not know for sure. But if you, if you watch her and you, you look at the way that she interviews people, going back to her earliest, earliest work, she is a lifelong learner and she is a lifelong vessel for curiosity and this is someone who is considered one of the most inspiring, empowering people in the world. And so if Oprah can still get curious, I think that we certainly can. Yeah, totally. Interesting. I have uh, I have two little girls, you know, and I bought this book like Rebel Girls Story or something like that. It's actually the second volume. But Oprah is in there. And it's just like these one page stories about all these amazing stories. But Oprah's story. So it's like a one pager, you Mm -hmm. know, for kids. But it talks about how she grew up like and nobody would listen to her and like how she became this journalist and then Oprah, who she is today, because like that she was an amazing listener and that like that's like, you know, it was an amazing thing of like this sort of because she was really truly listening to like her breakout interview was like it was like it was like somebody on the street like an ice cream truck or like something like that and like that was a break for thing like because she was like really fully listening to this person and then like was empathizing with them and compassionate and then like that that's one of the things that made her be like so relatable and like her and stuff like that and I was like oh that's so interesting And also interesting as a kid, I never felt like anybody oh, no. listened to me or cared about oh. me. Like I, my, one of my biggest childhood memories is being told shut up all the time. <laughs> so I was like, oh, Oprah, I, I resonate. I want to be heard. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's so interesting. Like I you were actively told in, in your memory that like told to shut up. Uh, shut up was a was a bad that was considered like a bad word in our family. My, my mom said, yeah, my mom got really mad if I like ever told my brother to shut up. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, and there were, there were F bombs and S bombs, but shut up was, was off limits. However, I grew up pre saying those things to myself. Like I was, I was so aware of energy shifts within a room and not just the way that Mm. I said something, how someone would respond to me. But if I was witness to a conversation, I felt the responses and the emotions of both of the people that I was observing in that conversation. And so part of that made me censor myself because I thought, okay, well, if that's happening to other people, I don't want that to happen to me. And I think that that's really interesting. And I mean, oh my goodness, you have two little girls. You probably see it all the time where, where kids, they, they mirror the adults in their lives and they pick up on a lot of information that isn't necessarily said to them. And so for me, watching 
an interaction happen and see someone get shut down or feel a reaction in the room, I was like, it is my job to be a good girl, big air quotes. You know, I'm the person who is supposed to be, to make everybody happy, be super talented so I can make everybody happy. Not talented so I, like, look at me, I'm on a stage, but but my my singing, my acting, my drawing, it made other people happy. And it made people like, you know, my parents, my grandparents, my teachers have a sense of pride in me. And I loved that. I loved that I was giving them that little bit of, of happiness and pride. And so, and on an ego end of it, you know, what little kid doesn't like that validation? So the combination made me be like, okay, this, this, these are the things that make me a good girl. And at the same time, I see the things that now I know I can use this wording. I, I didn't have the language, obviously, when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old, but I could see the things that triggered other people. And so I sort of put it in like the mental like the Rolodex in my brain, like going, boop, 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 boop. Okay, uh, this person, she gets triggered by this and this and this. So don't say this and this and this and be this and this and this and this. And I was just carrying that around with me all of the time. Jesus, that's a lot of information to be yeah. <laughs> responsible for. I know. <laughs> and and other people's reactions. Right. So, yeah, so you feel like, yeah, because you er early on mentioned, yeah, type A um, and like, I don't remember what else what else you would call yourself. But so you feel like that sort of culminated from, yeah, being young and this sort of seeing like, okay, and you're like managing like you were so empathetic to people. I don't know if that's the Mm -hmm. correct word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. overly. Like, I don't want people to feel those things. So I'm going to do good and be good and make do things that make them happy and smile and laugh that they're like, oh, look at Katie. Look at Katie. Exactly. And there was a lot of, you know, pre-apologizing going on, whether that was verbal apologies or just things that I would do to make sure that, you know, people wouldn't get mad or wouldn't feel hurt. And it wasn't that I viewed those emotions as bad. It's that I felt as if I was a bad person if I caused those emotions, you know? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a busy place in my brain from a, a <laughs> young time. People talk about that time when they're like, yeah, like, remember the time when you were when you were a kid and you were young and free and didn't care about anything? And I was like, I don't remember that time. You're like, I remember being crippled <laughs> I, by what? I, I remember being weighed down by all of the emotions that I was able to feel. Wow. Okay. So then, and so you, did you go to college for um, musical theater? Is that what I you did. said? I okay. did. And I so did. that was the path. And do you think I guess, of course, you got joy from performing mm-hmm. in musical theater, but you also mentioned that a lot of your performing, or, or I don't know, a lot of, but mentioned that performing also seemed to also be driven by pleasing others or like. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that the performing itself, that was for me. I loved it so much. And it was really one of the only times where I felt like I was able to be the full spectrum of myself. Because if I was acting 
Because it wasn't you. Yeah, yeah. It was like if I was acting, it was weird. Like to other people, it wasn't me. But to me, I I always loved acting because it helped me feel like more of myself. I never liked the idea of escaping into a character. I loved the idea of being able to be these parts of myself that maybe would be hidden or judged in my real life if I was posing as Katie. But when you're on a stage and it's a character, then you can just write it off as like that weird thing you do is the character's quirk. It's not you, it's the character. So that part was totally me. The part that was based in other people is, I think, the the definition of success. I was talking to my therapist about this the other day, and she said, people who end up going into the theater, they don't just go into, into the theater. They are theater kids, and their definition of success starts from a very early age and is shaped at a very early age. And to me, that idea of success was something that I always shared out loud with everybody. Like everyone knew like my plans. And so I almost felt an obligation to other people to reach these certain milestones. And I felt, I felt ashamed when I didn't get into the college that was viewed like the, one of the most prestigious theater colleges. I was, you know, for a really long time, I thought that the pinnacle of success was being on Broadway. And that's sort of the only path that you are taught when you're in theater school. It's like, okay, well, you go into the movies or TV or you go on to Broadway. And so I started to get a lot of success in LA in my senior year of college and then in the years after in TV, in film, in commercials, in print, but it was never the stuff that I intended to get success in. And combine on top of that, when I would go to auditions for musical theater, like it just was not an enjoyable experience. I got major anxiety, like literal panic attacks with sweating and shaking and headaches. And it wasn't something that was adding to my life. And so there started to be this feeling of just like guilt and shame. And like I was letting everybody down by not becoming this Broadway actress that everybody had spent their time and energy and, you know, money on voice lessons for my parents and like had invested so much in. And what I realized way later is that my theater training was actually the very best training that I could have gotten, not only for the work that I do right now, but for the life that I'm living right now. Because I mean, you work with so many artists, you know this, that like so much of what the arts is, is about the human training that we don't learn in school when it comes to empathy, when it comes to, you know, character analysis, why we do the things we do, holding space for each other, listening. There were so many skills that I learned there that maybe I'm not using them right now in the way that I went to school for them, But I mean, I use my training every day. So is that like when you're saying a couple years ago, you're realizing that and like, wow, how great that I got that training. But for years, is that what you're saying that you were sort of feeling like guilty and that 
your parents or you pursued this, you went to college for this music for musical theater and now you're not doing that. So sort of like you felt guilt and shame because you went to school and studied and people help you pay for that or paid for that. And then you didn't end up pursuing that. So like, yeah. And I think, and now you can be like, Oh wait, no, that was worth the money. Like, I'm glad I did that. But you had some bits of like, I did that. Oh, oh, but I didn't do this thing that people were expecting me to do and that they. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more like the emotional investment and the, um, like, especially from my family, I come from a very, very close family and no one, no one said, you know, Katie, I'm disappointed in you. That was, that was not a narrative that came up, but I felt like that was the story that I had crafted for myself for so, for my entire life. And so I felt this sense of guilt that it was no longer a story that I wanted to tell, but everyone was reading you know, mm. that's the story that everybody was reading. And so I think that we all go through that where we think that we're moving forward from a, a former version of ourselves. And we need to like, to use the story metaphor that we're changing the entire book that we're reading. But really, it's not that moving forward is a, what I know now, it's not a, a death of who you were. It is almost like a a rebirth into who you actually are. And it's not that you're switching books. It's that you're just turning the page and going into a new chapter, maybe transitioning from part one to part two. And I think that for me personally, like those are the, the richest, most interesting lives that I see when I look at people and I'm like, Oh wow, you, you were going on one path and then you changed to another path and then another path. And the story keeps evolving. And so many times we're so resistant to the evolution of that story. And in the not so great scenarios, I mean, you know this because you are a joyologist, you end up playing out this story and being a character in your life instead of actually living your life. Yeah, I love that uh, the book analogy with, yeah, like a new chapter. Okay, part two, part three, part four, like, because uh, I'm I'm a big book reader, but yeah, like yes. it's so true. And I, um, you know, I felt that when I did decide to quit being the sound engineer and, you yeah. know, and I, didn't, and I didn't even know what I was going to do yet. Or even once I had created this new position for myself and I was back on tour as a joyologist, a position I created, how freaking cool. But there was still, I think, in that first year, a struggle of like, but I used to be the badass girl that was yeah. ordering the stage ends around that was on stage that was driving the show and now yeah. I'm like this person that people are like okay she's the joyologist so I think even in that first year of that creating it but like I I mean I definitely struggled with that even the quitting sound and I was like I quit and then be like what am I doing why am I quitting sound blah blah like who am I who am mm-hmm. I I have put so much into like I loved it that was my dream. I made it happen. I'm a badass sound engineer, but also like that's what people th- know of me. Like, who am I yeah. going to be if I'm not that? So there was like, I remember that struggle that went on even once I created this new thing. And like, but yeah, but now I'm thinking like, man, what if I had just stayed a sound engineer? Cause that was badass. Right? And then I would have been this. And then like, great. I would have, I would have toured with probably a lot more awesome, you know, still more people. I mean, I toured again as a dermatologist, but still like, right. I'm like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's funny that if I had let that, you know, drive my life of now of like, yeah, like kind of seems boring. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and you also, like you said, like, oh yeah, like I reached the dream and I was this badass. Like 
what that that also begs the question like what happens when you reach what you perceive to be the dream and what happens when you like get the thing you do the thing you get the dream i think that that goes back to our earlier point of getting curious and like looking for okay, well, what don't I know? What else is out there? Because if we are always going for, you know, like dream, achieve, dream, achieve, dream, achieve, then we start to get into this almost desperate scarcity mindset of clinging to our successes and the things that we deem the best or on track. And so when we're feeling like we want to either, we're either, not what you would call on track, or you want to change your track entirely, then it's really hard to loosen that grip and start to change course and be fluid because it's like, oh no, I'm clinging to this thing because I have it and I'm scared of what I will or won't be when it goes away. Yeah. And that's what I've realized in, in, in most of those transitions that I've had in life in that the real struggle is is the fear of what people will think, the fear yeah. of what other people will think. And then I've narrowed that down is like <laughs> that what it really is, that it's actually always the fear of what we think. And that mm-hmm. like the phrase of the only judge of me is me from my line and everything too is that underneath that, all of those fears of what everybody else thinks at the bottom, it, that's you. That's you sitting at home thinking about what are people going to think. Those are your thoughts and your mind. Like, <laughs> right, 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 like, right, right. Some people might think that, oh, I thought Trisha was this person. I thought Trisha was that person. Oh, now she's doing this. What? Yeah. And those might be real things that people will think, but also it's like you're buying into this fear that's your own fear of like, yeah. what do I think about myself? So keep right. asking yourself, what do I think about myself? Am I, can yeah. I be a badass and not be a sound engineer? Yes. Yeah. Can I be a badass and no longer do the tour? Yes. Or whatever yeah. the things are for each person. I'm out of constantly asking that. We get so caught up in of like, what are what is everybody else going to think about us? Yeah. My husband always says to me, like, who is everybody else? Like who, who's the person? Who and, is this they? Yeah. And some, sometimes, sometimes there's no they. And then sometimes the they is like my mom or something who I know is going to, we have a very, very close relationship. Like I know she's going to love me no matter what. She might have opinions that I don't want to hear, but like is an opinion of my mom who loves me no matter what is hearing an opinion that I I don't agree with, is that really worth me not doing what I, I want to do? I don't think so. It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption. One of the best investments I've ever made for my physical and mental body is an infrared sauna blanket. And they are back in stock and shipping now. So what it is, it basically looks like a sleeping bag, (laughs) but it has infrared sauna heat. You control the temperature. I like mine on a seven. I put on a long sleeve shirt, pants, socks. I just lay mine on the floor, turn on a good show or a podcast, keep water nearby because you are going to sweat, 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 sweat. And I lay in mine for about 45 minutes to an hour. It is amazing, so detoxifying, so healing for my body and my mind. So this helps me when I have aches and pains from exercising, from standing, from long drives, from life. 
from my fibromyalgia acting up when I have a lot of inflammation in my body, joint pain, that sort of thing. And also when I just feel like stressed and uneasy, it really calms my mind and my nervous system and my body. Like no matter how I'm feeling, it helps. And yeah, best investment I've ever made. They have an interest-free payment plan and I have a code to save you $75. Joy75. Like I said, I've obsessed with this thing. It also, you know, we usually see the infrared saunas that are the wood booths and those take up a lot of space. This is something that you can roll up, keep in your closet, keep under your bed. So great for those of you living in smaller spaces or just like don't have, like even in bigger spaces, don't have the space for the wood box. Yeah, it's really, really, really amazing. Go check it out. Feel free to DM me any questions about it because I really, really love mine. At Your Joyologist, check out my link in the show notes and use code JOY75 for $75 off. Going back to when you're mentioning too, so you're in LA, you were being, you were like, I yeah. was successful doing commercials and doing mm-hmm. the TV and stuff there, but it it sounded like you weren't even able to maybe enjoy the fact that you're getting booked yeah. on things because I should be doing broad, I should be theater, I'm supposed to be a theater, so this isn't like good enough for me. Did that? Yeah. Did Did yeah, you struggle with like, that? I so my very first my very first union job was actually a stage job was in a musical. Um, it was a company that works out of UCLA and they were like super high regarded and it was amazing. And that was like, I think that kind of that. And then my next job, and I know you're in Orange County, right? Ish. Ish. Um, my next job was out at South Coast Rep, which is like a really highly regarded regional theater. But the thing with LA is that there's not a huge theater scene in LA and there's not a huge paying theater scene in LA. So while I would do, I got very spoiled by my my first two gigs and the theater after that, it was, it was very few and far between. And also a lot of it was either not paying. So a lot of work and a lot of money out of pocket. And as actors, as an actor, you're not making a lot of money to begin with. It was a lot of output for not a lot, not even like base level return. And I found whether this is just, you know, how things were at the time, or it was the universe trying to steer me into a different direction. The theater that I did do I had a couple really great experiences with some incredible casts, but I had some experiences where it was either like we were kept over time when we shouldn't have been kept over time in the most, one of the most extreme experiences, which was a, an amazing experience on stage, but the director ended up being taken off of our show because of sexual harassment charges. And so we like didn't have a director for the last, you know, the the week of the show. And it just like, they weren't fantastic environments. And when I was on set for commercials, for TV, there's a lot of waiting around that happens in commercials and TV and, and in movies. And I found myself really loving like bonding with the crew members and the makeup artists. And when I ended up having to go on set, 
I'm such an introvert and I am so, I gain my energy by being alone in such a, a real and, and deep and intense way that by the time that I would go on set, I had had so many people around me before that, that I would go and it was like exhausting. So I wasn't gaining joy from that experience because the environment was, and this is not stuff that you're, you're ever taught in school of like, okay, well, how are you actually going to balance the reality of things? Like it wasn't an environment that felt good to me that made me feel good. The hours were, were long there. They were early, they were late. And the work itself was so just of the moment that I was so acutely aware of that fleeting sense of, I guess, joy that I was gaining from it. Because when you're in the theater, you have a rehearsal process and it's like a long thing. And it was so quick that that feeling of like creating a project collectively, just like it wasn't there. And like you said, in the background, there was, gosh, like even when I am on a stage, that process isn't even enjoyable to me. So what is going on here? It was a very confusing time. And that was in like, that was my early 20s. So that led to my, my quarter life crisis that pivoted me into fitness and wellness. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask the next is about like, yeah, like, your, like a moment that like, or like, what was your start of like getting into I'm guessing like, yeah, when you taught that first class and stuff too you weren't like oh done with acting let me try this it was just like right taught a class and then it was it like a slow build that you started to get more in that world and then feel like I like this more than that or like and then that transition of leaving acting behind yeah well and it's funny because when I I decided to leave acting behind I even said to myself I was like I'm gonna do acting on my own terms. That was, that was the language that I used because I felt like if I was saying it was a hard stop, like that didn't feel right to me to burn that bridge with that whole world that I created for myself beforehand. But I got certified originally because I felt such a sense of peace and belonging in the group fitness environment. And while I was struggling with eating and body and exercise related stuff, I realized that when I was in a group environment and you weren't looking at numbers on a, on a screen, on like a treadmill, you weren't alone in the gym. When you are a part of something that was a collective experience, sort of like the theater, I could feel the energy in the room. And that was something that was really to be a little hippy dippy about it, but I'm from LA. So that's me. Um, it was really healing for me. And I realized that I could get certified to teach group fitness. And at the time I was like, there are community centers and YMCAs all around the country. They're always going to need a sub. So wherever my job takes me, this is something that I can do. And PS, I kind of love putting together playlists, moving to the rhythm. I was never the best dancer. My voice teacher even said, she was like, don't worry, Katie, like you're, you're good enough at acting and singing that you'll just be the person that people dance around. And I was like, I don't know if that was a backhanded compliment or not, but no, I was, I was not a good technical dancer whatsoever. But when I was on a bike and when I was 
when I was working out on a beat, that was the dancing to me. And so I loved the, the movement that I could do. I loved the communal experience. And once I started teaching, I loved being on a stage and A, being me the entire time. And I loved that I realized that fitness, the way that I taught fitness, really wasn't about fitness at all. It was just a way to get people into the room and to really get them shifting their self-talk and finding being and staying themselves through what they practice in this state of vulnerability because fitness gets you into that state of vulnerability. And when you're vulnerable, you are more susceptible to soak in whatever is surrounding you. And so I realized that it was a really powerful way to create change that lasted way beyond the moment. Yeah. And that's, I'm guessing that it's been an interesting journey being in that fitness space where that's your mission. And these days, that seems like more of a bigger vision in the whole fitness space. But probably when you started, no, you're working out because you want to lose weight, because you want to fit in your jeans, because you want to eat pizza later. Like those are not thoughts that I currently have, but I think right. what can start uh, many people into the exercise world are like, you know, right? Like mantras yeah. that drive people to the fitness studio, to the gym is because yeah. I have to look better. I have to fit into this clothes. I have to whatever. It's even like, oh, I need to work out so then I can party or whatever. Yeah. And so that there used to be, and I'm sure there still is in many places, that focus on like what the body looks like and not what you, how you feel and what you believe about yourself. Exactly. And I, I think that I was definitely different than anyone who I was teaching around at the time. And this is before like, like the soul cycles and the, the very like mind body focused fitness that we see today. But I had this feeling like it felt too good to not be me. And so I was like, it feels so good to be me that I'm not going to not be myself and I'm not going to do things the way that other people are doing it because also I'm, it feels good to me and it is helping other people and it's helping them in real ways that, you know, they're showing up every week and they're telling me their stories after class and they're writing me emails and they're running into me at the market when we're shopping for groceries and they're telling me about the like a little thing that I said in class or an aha moment that they had and how that has just made a domino effect happen in their life. And I realized that what I was doing in fitness, I didn't know it at the time, but I was like, this is more of the direction that I want to go in. And so as I started to evolve in my career with fitness and in wellness, fitness has now turned into one of the avenues that I am able to do my work. So I'm in the fitness industry. I'm also a writer. I'm also a speaker. I also you know, do, do coaching and consulting. I also will do the occasional modeling or acting job just for kicks. If I know someone who's like, Hey, Katie, will you do this? And it's fun. But it all goes back to 
what I call my through line, which is the common theme in everything I love and the common goal in everything that I do, which is using my unique voice to help others find, use, and really own theirs. And if I'm not doing that, then it's probably a good sign that it's not for me. And so going back to then, okay, you're really finding yourself and spinning. You don't even probably know what you're doing at the time. You're just like, great, I'm doing these things. And all of a sudden people are telling me that it's changing their lives. What am I doing? Were you kind of like, (laughs) yeah, I was like, like, (laughs) okay, I mean, I like it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And then, so yeah, then even leading up to uh, when you get the job at Press Juicery, mm-hmm. is that point that you're sort of like, I'm going to stop focusing on acting when yeah. you did that? Was that long after? And also like how living in LA and being like, let me get a job at the juice shop. Like, did you feel any bit of like, oh, I'm supposed to not be, I'm supposed to be doing something else in my, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where I can see people taking, like, no, this is the industry, this is the world I want to be, I want to be in this, and they're doing this chalkboard. Like, you were able to see things, mm-hmm. but even I'm guessing some people in your life could have been like, what? You're going to get a job at the juice shop? Or I was mean, that different gosh. being an yeah. actor in LA, though, because actors in LA, it's like, of course, yeah, they have whatever jobs, and they're oh, no. being actors. So, oh, like, no. the talk back of, why yeah. are you get a job at a juice shop? Oh, I mean... Forget the juice shop. What about what about the fitness career? Because yeah. at the time, like fitness was the industry was not what it is today. And now you see you see people who teach fitness basically being like the new celebrities. But I will never forget a very dear family friend of ours. He said to my parents, "Well, what is, is what is Katie doing? Like, why doesn't she get a job at an agency?" And my parents were like, well, because she doesn't want to get a job at an agency. Um, because that was the route that if you are an actor and you're in LA, it's like, okay, you get a job being a receptionist somewhere or you go somewhere or you work at the restaurant where all of the celebrities are so that you can be seen. And he didn't understand why I was going after this fitness thing. And He was like, what, is Katie going to be the exercise girl for the rest of her life? And that was repeated to me. And it just was, it was crushing to me because I knew that it was so much more than that. And it was when I got hired by Equinox, actually. And I started to meet people who worked there or friends of people who worked there who really ended up serving as mentors of mine in the industry where I saw that it could be something, a career in fitness and wellness could be something so much more than what I had previously thought it could be. So I thought I'm going to put acting in my back pocket. I'm going to do it on my own terms. And I'm really going to immerse myself in what this, this like fitness and wellness industry looks like. And I started working I started working for them and I realized that, you know, I should probably get a job then where I can learn something. And that was, that was big for me. And it's always been big for me where if I want to get a job somewhere that seems a little bit off the beaten path, or I've had many times in my life where it's like, I need to make ends meet and I, I need to get another job. And I always look for the learning opportunities. And so for me, I was like, I want to immerse myself 
in this emerging wellness world. And so at first it was Real Food Daily and that was like the place to be. And so yeah, I got especially to learn. back in LA. That was like oh the only God. vegan restaurant in LA yeah. for so oh. long too. Oh, <laughs> right? the only one. And I worked at the Santa Monica one, which was right around the corner from like the big power yoga, the donation-based place there that was soup. So I was right. surrounded by everybody in, in that world. And I got really, I was making smoothies. I was taking takeout orders and I was making the juices. And I got really interested in this idea of, Again, this is like early 2010s. So juicing was, green juice was starting to be a thing that like ears were perking up. And I read in, I think it was the paper at the time, like a physical paper, that Press Juicery had opened up their very first location and it was in a renovated broom closet in a little shopping center in Brentwood. And I just had a feeling, I was like, I'm gonna work for them. And it was just kind of like that. It was just a knowing. And I looked and one of the founders, I saw that he and I actually, one of his best friends was a friend of mine who I'd gone to elementary school with. So I wrote him this, like, now I think back on it. And it was like this super ballsy, just like cover letter saying like, here's the reason why I think your company is so great. Here's what I could add. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I think this is really important. And in my, I believe it was my first interview, maybe my second interview, they asked, where do you see yourself going with the company? Cause they were less than a year old. And I said, well, I went on your website and I had been blogging at that time, just like you you know, for my own enjoyment. I didn't tell anybody in my real life that I was blogging because that was like a weird nerdy thing to do. And I, I said, well, I looked on your website and you don't have a blog. So I would love to help, help you blog. And they said, we're starting this online magazine. And I said, cool. I don't know what that is, but I want to be a part of it. And so I was lucky enough to be on that founding team and, you know, be with the press juicery founders and the editor who became the editor in chief and be on that team where we were just like all doing everything. Like there was a point in time where I was like fitness editor, but also doing the social media and also doing some like SEO tagging in the back. And so it ended up being, I, I always refer to my time at press juicery, even when I was working in what I called the juice box because it was literally like this big, like it was a little box that where I sold juice out of. Even the time there, there in the chalkboard, it was like my grad school. I learned so much about the back end of how to start and run a business and also how to interact with an audience. I learned about the industry um, and I really came into my own. And that was something that if I had not been that curious to learn, that's something that would have never been on my radar. Yeah, no, I mean, I was pointing out to it because I think it's awesome. And I think I, you know, and I over the years have gotten so many people asking me advice on like how to get into this industry or that industry or to do these things. And I'm always like, well, just find a, you know, like find a way to make yourself be of service, like work for yeah. free, like whatever. Yeah. Get the job at the juice shop, like whatever it is that I think so many people are attached to like, no, I can't like work for free or I can't because we are sold the message of you know, state your worth, do own your worth, you know, charge this, totally. do this, which yes, but also like, 
Okay, but first maybe like you yeah, gotta get like, your feet we, in there we and all like start be somewhere. of service and figure we out. We all start somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's like, but even when starting over and stuff too, and like I've done mm-hmm. that in different times of my life, like, oh, okay, but I'm this person. I can't do this now and yeah. work for free, but this is a new avenue for me. So I'm going to try it out for free. I'm going to yeah. offer this for free or I'm going to get myself in the door. I'll take that, you know, low paying job in that door to yeah. get in there. And so like, that's why I wanted to bring that up of like, yeah, you got a job at this juice shop and ended up like so much more than that. Yeah. I didn't think that <laughs> my job would evolve. My role would evolve into what it ended up being. I didn't think that the chalkboard would end up being what, what it ended up being because there was nothing like that at the time. So I didn't, I didn't yeah, they think did it was going to really be that. Well. I, oh my god, it's it's absolutely amazing, and it's still like I'm I'm still in touch with like their team members, and what they've built is is really really phenomenal, and I'm I'm so grateful to have had a part of that journey, and yeah, to your point of like working for free and and putting that ego part aside. Because sometimes it can be difficult to just be like, like, that's all ego. Just let it go. Just do the thing. I think the reframe is really important and actually helpful for that very human ego part of us that is like, well, no, but like, what am I getting from this? Like, okay, you're getting a lot of information and you're getting a lot of teachings that you wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. And the second that you stop learning, then pivot then go go yeah. somewhere else or do something else but gosh that that exchange is is so important to be able to see the value in the learning experience and just whatever it is if you're starting like some sort of any sort of business, whether it's a service or a product, like, yeah, like, you know, like offering it for even if you're like, no, I'm this and I have so much information. If you've never actually coached somebody before, then like totally try coaching someone from free even if you're like but yeah. I'm this you know valuable because I did all these things and I've mentored these business owners and I was a CEO of this company whatever it is but then you're also you're getting information how am I in this realm oh and then I can get a testimonial like you're gonna get plenty like right, your money right. will come and you'll be more confident to ask for that money because you will really then see exactly yeah, like exactly <laughs> like people always say like know your value and it's really important to yeah, know and state your value <laughs> But you can't know your value until you test it. it. Yeah. And oh my gosh, you have like a line of products that you've had for years and years now. Like I'm sure that when you first started, you're like, I've, I've got to give some of this away for free. Like I I need to, right. And, and to be like, I need to make sure that like, that like the liquid doesn't drip out of the mug when like someone right, you test them, you know? yeah you like yeah, I test the pride test yeah exactly I tested the quality of the paper of yeah. the cards before I got them protected just like test your own like yeah in the things like you're also you're always learning anyway enough about I'm like we're we always do <laughs> enough this. We about go off on so many we go off on amazing <laughs> tangents though but I'm like wait, I get love back it to your story <laughs> when I was no on I your love episode. it <laughs> I'm always like we are we been talking for an hour all right well yeah uh yeah, we talked a lot about you being fitness, but yeah, once you have started your own podcast, which was huge, and I've mm-hmm. been on it, and then now I feel like you're you're such an like you're really going after the public speaking thing more, right? And yeah. I'm so inspired by you and putting yourself out there because that's Thank definitely you. something like I want to step more in. So I've been so I love watching yeah Thank everything you. that you get, and I'm cheering you on, and I know Thank that's you. a lot to put yourself out there. 
Yeah, it it is. And I, I appreciate you. And I hear that. I hear and receive that. And I soak it in. It's really interesting, the point that I'm at right now, because Want is uh, five and a half years old now. The podcast is, the Wantcast is about to be five years old in September. That is insane. I know. It's madness. Um, so amazing. So, but the site has been up for a while. You were one of our first interviews on the site, which is pretty cool. Um, and my very first speaking engagement, talk about you know, doing things and just, you know, doing them and for the experience. My very first speaking engagement was like two months after I started one in 2015. And uh, it was at South by Southwest and I was speaking what? on a panel, right? I know that was my reaction. I was like, me, you want me, you want this person. Um, and again, it was, it was, it was a panel. I wasn't giving keynote, but I was just like, okay, you're going in and like you own this situation. And I did. And that, that September or October, I left, I left chalkboard and I went to do want full time. And to be very, very clear, my fitness career was still my primary investor, if you will, in want. Um, but so much of what I talk about on want was and talked about on want was being uh, practiced in the fitness environment. So I got to like test run different different phrases or different like thought exercises. And as far as the speaking goes, I did it on and off for you know for the first few years. And then I started to realize because people were coming to me and just like asking me to do to do keynotes or be on panels, and I was like, I love doing this. I love this is like the best of my theater training combined with the best of what I have to offer right now, and I love that at the end of the day. It's not about me. I love using myself as a vehicle for other people to have their own aha moments. I am not there to be somebody's aha moment, to have all of the answers. But if I can get up and be on a stage and use my voice and take up space, and that can help someone else find and use their voice and take up space in their own life, and then because of that, find their own answers, then I'm like, that is the dream. And so for the last few years now, I've been, I've been at conferences. I do a lot of in-house stuff. So I'll go into um, to different companies and corporations and I'll do workshops with a lot of them have women's groups. And I love doing that because a lot of times they're like, we're the only 20 women in this company of, of, you know, 200. And I'm like, wow, you are a small percentage of this male dominated industry and how amazing to get all of you together and like realize your power in real time. Like that is so, so, so cool. But yeah, it's, it's been amazing. It's been incredible. I loved your reframe of like seeing that it's not about you, that it's about, because it so is. But I think that can be like a, a doubt or something that like, you know, in me even going back to like, okay, I want to do, 
I would do more speaking, then it's yeah. like, of course, I want these people to get this message and it is about them, but it can get as in like, oh, this is me standing on a stage and I'm speaking here. And so right. like, I think that that's, yeah, to keep thinking like, no, I'm doing it for them. And like, what, how can I bring the most value to them? Yeah. It's like, so to constantly going back to that was just like, yeah, that like, you know, cause I can feel like the tightness in the chest of like, <gasps> totally, I'm going to speak. It's about me then, but it's not. If you're thinking like, right. how can I make sure they're having a breakthrough that they're walking away with something that's going to yeah. like, oh, it's not me. Like, yeah. you're the one standing on the stage with yeah. the microphone. So that's, I love that reframe. Well, and I always make sure that I have like the points that I want, that I really want people to hear. And so as long as I know those points and I know the overarching scope of what we're talking about, I've found, and I've done it many, many different ways where I like have note cards. Sometimes I don't have note cards. Sometimes I have a PowerPoint. Sometimes I don't have a PowerPoint. I found that there is such a thing as over preparation. And <laughs> the more that you, I thought we all have that place for ourselves where it's like we prepare to a certain point and then it becomes less about delivering what you have to offer and more about delivering things in, through this lens of perfection. And when it comes to speaking and getting on a stage as yourself, like it's those little things that maybe other people would view as imperfections. It's those little things that make you you that are the reason why people are connecting with you. And look, I've had experiences where I've hit all of the points and it has gone on paper. It's gone perfectly. Maybe I've said the entire thing, but I'll get off. And I was like, man, I was not connected at all. I was just hitting my marks. And that's something that I constantly need to check myself on because it's not worth in speaking, in life, in anything. It's not worth hitting the marks if you don't hit the core of what you're there to do. And you can, you know, say everything perfectly, no likes, no ums. You can stand there super strong, but have the perfect power outfit. You can have the perfect <laughs> outfit. Your hair could be great. But if that piece of connection is missing, and if you're, for me, if I am putting on a voice and I'm not using my own voice, then there is no way that I'm walking off of that stage and I've encouraged anybody to use their own voice in a real lasting way. Yeah, I love that. And it made me think back to, um, you know, so I was a sound engineer for many years. And in yeah. some of those times I was touring with artists, but sometimes I would work at a venue and that, you know, like, so a venue. And um, there was this one venue in San Diego when I first moved out to work for. So it was summer. They, so all sorts of like huge names would come through every night, a huge new name. And this one artist was coming through that I, lo I mean, I loved all of them, but I was really excited about this yeah. night. And they sound checked for like two hours. And it sounded great. And she, the artist, I'm not going to mention who it was. Yeah. But like they were making sure everything was freaking perfect, that it sounded exactly like the album. What oh, audiences, no. yeah. you know, know, what audiences know. And that concert was the most boring concert I had 
ever been to. Yeah. <laughs> and it was this, in, in, like, to getting your message is that, like, they were so freaking on every note, making it sound exactly, every song being played exactly how the album was, had worked so hard for it. And I I was, like, bored out of my mind. I was like, I could just put this on in my car, guys. Like, yeah. it's the sa- same difference. Like, right. I wasn't moved by the music. Because right. they weren't there. They were so focused on playing everything exactly right. And I'm yeah. not saying, like, you know, like, for me, that's, like, that was live music. Like, no, like, I want to, like, it was an interesting yeah. thing. And, like, that's that type of person, artist, you know, like, whatever. Still amazing musician. But, yeah, I was like, I don't need to pay money to go see your concert if it sounds exactly right. like that. And so sort of what you're saying, like, if you're so attached to this perfect, I said everything right, I got all my points, but you're just so into, like, I'm delivering it exactly this way and not, like, mm-hmm. being with it and being with the people that you want to receive it. Like, I wasn't moved by the music that I loved because yeah. they were more attached to the perfection of it than being yeah. with the people. Yeah, and some people will be like, yeah, like, I've – I, I know who I am and I can, you know, market myself up the wazoo and like, I've got this image of who I am. Then the question is, how are you not only going to, you've, you've found yourself, how are you going to be yourself and how are you going to stay yourself when you are on a stage in front of people and the goal is connection. One of the goals there is connection. Like, like what does it mean to be yourself in a public facing atmosphere when the energy of the room is really important, you know, and you need that for concerts, especially like, like that, that given exchange of energy is like, that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Ask you, but Liz, yeah. we got. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have, I have all the time in the world, but you have young children. I have toddlers <laughs> that are going to burst into the room. <laughs> all right, I'm going to ask you. So, oh, so first, you're yes. the first person that gets to. I ask everybody to pick from my keychain phrases, and I will send you the keychain. Ooh. Um, not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they needed as a reminder in their life right now and why. And you're the first person I added four new ones this week. You're the first person that gets the the full list with new phrases. Well, there's some oh, older yes. phrases, but new ones that I've turned into key- keychains. Yes, I was going to say I Which it might make it more complicated from... because they're longer. <laughs> no, no, I, I love a long phrase. These remind me of my... um. One of my favorite affirmation apps that I have, um, you, you might have heard of it. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's by someone named Trisha Huffman. It's like this joyologist. Yay. Um, I love my app. I, I, I love your app, too. one of the things too. I'm most proud of, and I somewhat don't forget about it. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's so freaking cool. It's, it's so cool, and it's like so well-designed. And oh, anyway, let's, let's pick – uh, phrase. So pick one of these phrases that you most want because I'm going to send it to you to put on your keys. Oh my gosh. You'll be excited about looking down and be like, oh yes, I need that reminder. I want that reminder in my life. Thank you. Um, I think that I, I really like so fucking grateful. That is really great. And you know, I've been referencing you. I do this. I know that we have to go in a second, but I've been doing this exercise with people in a lot of the like Instagram live little mini workshops that I've been doing. And I actually have a link on want to this downloadable self-guided worksheet 
that this exercise that I'm doing called riding your wave. And it's all about maximizing the moment that you're in where we think our life is supposed to be a straight line and we're, you know, only onwards and upwards, but we go up and down and it's all about, you know, when you're feeling low, what do you do when you're feeling low? And when you're feeling high, what do you do so that you can maximize the moment instead of trying to escape or trying to cling to you know, this idea of where you should be. And I tell people that when they are in their lows, when they're feeling their lows, depressed, sad, whatever, that that's the perfect time to practice gratitude. Because as you know, because you are all about the gratitude, gratitude is something that you need to practice. And it's like practicing a language or a sport. Like you don't just practice right before the game or right when you're going to have a conversation. It's something that you need to get those patterns into your head and your heart of recognizing the things that you're grateful for. Um, And then out when you're feeling in this high where you're confident, you're motivated, driven, whatever, that's the time where you take your gratitude and you let it live out loud. You do something with your gratitude. And so I always say to people, I was like, so my friend Trisha Huffman sent me, um, I actually think that my aunt gave me this wine cup. You didn't send it to me. I said, she has this, this line, she's your joyologist, and she has this line of products, and she has this wine glass that I have that says, gratitude is my attitude. And I'm like, when you're in a low, Gratitude practice. When you're in a high, it's your attitude practice. So it's the gratitude, the attitude. It's your attitude. Go take it out in the world. Cheers. Love it. Love it. So you're getting a lot of plugs right now for that specific glass. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah, my new gratitude phrase has been so fucking grateful, but I still have gratitude. That's funny. I haven't put gratitude as my attitude on my on the keychains yet. I just realized. No, I like so fucking grateful. I think that's really important. And And see the good. See the good is also a newer version of my was like one of my gratitude phrases as well. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. That's very (laughs) kind of you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, The next question is, what is a go to to raise your joy levels? Which I'm like, you sort of already touched on. Yeah. But yeah. If you're feeling like in a funk or yeah, you're supposed yeah, to be to doing raise, a speech or whatever. To to raise my joy levels. Well, because this is an end of the podcast and we're getting a little quick fiery, I will say that my go-to to raise my joy levels, honestly, throwback music from the 90s. Like Love it. any, I mean, throwback music in general. Me, can you have a really, song? Do you think of a song right now? Oh, I mean, Oops, I Did It Again is celebrating its 20th anniversary. <laughs> so I've been on a, um, I've been on a Britney kick lately, but I'm talking like early my 90s, like Turn the Beat Around by Gloria Stefan. Like oh, Nobody's yeah. Supposed to Be Here by Deborah Cox. I'm Your Baby Tonight by Whitney Houston. Like those oh, songs yeah. that were just like, like soundtracks to life when they came out. They were playing in the clubs and they were playing in the gas stations. Like they were just everywhere. Um, And listening to songs like that, not only are they fun and they're poppy, but they take me back to a certain time. And so that helps me get out of the moment that I'm in and start to associate with that moment and start to like get, get my memory bank going. Love it and love – yeah, I'm glad I asked you for songs because I was yeah. like, yeah, now I want to go listen to those songs or like add them. To- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is mm-hmm. easiest for you is not always what is best for you. 
Can you think of a way to apply that? What is easiest is for me to blank. What is best for me is to blank. Oh, yes. What is easiest for me is to appease other people. What is best for me is to take care of myself first. Absolutely. And love that. That was like one of the talk going back to childhood. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> it's, we it's start at the beginning. total story of my life. And it's stuff that I still struggle with today in whether it's my family relationships with per- professional relationships with my relationship with my husband. It's it's a muscle that I think is always going to be there. And it's not about getting emotional surgery and taking that muscle away. It's about strengthening the other muscles so that they just like fitness, like, so they take over instead of the muscle that I don't want to use. Yeah, no, I think we all have like these things from like, yeah, that got embedded somehow in childhood. And it wasn't necessarily even other because people were doing things a certain way that were right or wrong. And you know, it's not like about making our parents bad. But just yeah, we have these things and that like, yeah, it probably won't go away. But I also making what yeah, what you said about making it strong, but also like you get better at seeing like, oh, this is me appeasing Mm -hmm. people. Okay. How do I feel when I do that? Okay. What do I want to be doing? It's like you get better at seeing like, oh, that's a pattern I have. Oh, that's something that I do. Right. This is me feeling this way. No shame. This is me feeling like nobody wants to hear me. No blame. Yeah, exactly. Me. This is me. Yeah. Like that's one of my biggest things. Like nobody cares about me because I was always told to shut up. So I always feel like nobody cares about me. Right. Which then made me go through my life as if uh, I don't need anyone. So then right. nobody, I don't care if anybody cares about me because I don't need you. <laughs> right, right. It's that defense mechanism of like, well. Like, that, like these mm-hmm. are all going back to being yep. told to shut up. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, well, there are a lot of people who want to hear you always right here, right now. Thank you. Uh, the last question yes. is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I believe that our feelings of being successful, being fulfilled, being enough, worthy, valued, whatever it is, are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, then I will feel it forever and ever. That it's up to us to claim it every day, sometimes every moment of the day. What are you claiming for yourself right now? What am I claiming for myself? What a great question. I... This might not be the answer that you want, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Whatever explanation. I am claiming my fullest life possible because I think that back to your question of what is easiest, in this instance, for me, being someone who is so goal-oriented, who is so driven by goals and who does like that sense of completion, it's very easy for me to say, I claim this thing or this goal. However, I claim the full spectrum of my life, which includes going after and seizing whatever goals are right for me in the life that I am meant to lead. Because if I am being the me I know I'm meant to be, I have a deep sense of knowing and trust that the things are meant to be that are meant to be will stick and the things that aren't will fall away. It's not just about sitting back and waiting for life to happen to me. It's about going out there with my full self and seeing what sticks. That's what yeah. I mean. 
Love it. And yeah, no, that was perfect answer. That's the thing. It's like you want something to claim that's like, yeah, this is me. Like, what am I claiming from us? What do I want to feel? What do I want to focus on? What is? <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yay. Thank you so much, Katie. I Thank love you. you. So much. And yeah, I'm like, well, I'll have to link my episode of your show and interview uh, or yeah. Me on your show, yeah. the interview, your classes on how do you pronounce it? Active, active. But yeah, I'll definitely link to all of that. Thank um, you so much for having me on. I I love supporting everything that you're doing, and I love seeing how you and your your business and your mission and your purpose how it's all evolved over the time that I've known you. Um, it's it's really cool to watch from the outside and it's really amazing to be able to be a witness to your journey and just know that you're doing so many incredible things and um you're you're rocking it. You are owning. You're awesome. Thank you. All right, I hope you guys loved listening along with me and Katie for full show notes. Go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there. Click on the guest and find it out. Find more about Katie. She's at katiehorwich.com and womenagainstnegativetalk.com as well as at katiehorwich and at womenagainstnegativetalk on social media. For all things me, I'm yourjoyologist.com and at yourjoyologist and I love hearing from you feel free. DM me. I love, love, love hearing from you. I especially love when you hear share the episodes. And if you haven't already, please hit subscribe. And then while you're there, go leave a review for the podcast. Again, that really helps me. I love hearing from you. But it also helps the podcast become more searchable, discoverable, all of those things that make things be shared and found easier in the world you know, analytics, they call it, stuff like that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, go leave a review. And as a thank you, screenshot it to me and email it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a gift for my product line, just like I have every guest pick a keychain. I've got mugs. I've got the Own Your Awesome Affirmation deck. I've got journals. I've got magnets. I've got wine glasses. I've got all sorts of goodies. And I'm going to send something to you if you leave me a review. Again, thank you so much for listening here with me. I do appreciate you and I appreciate all the shares. Let's leave this episode with the final thought of Katie's mission is about women against negative talk. I'm also self-talk focused and mindset. Katie and I have a lot in common there. So where can you think today, like, where are you having negative talk? And, and maybe it's in your own mind about yourself. You know, we're so hard on ourselves about what we look like, about how much we did that day, that month, whatever. And also, where do you maybe tend to be negative talking about other people? You know, a lot of us, especially females, have like, that's the way we grew up, like interacting with people, the sort of gossiping, even like, I don't know about you, but in families, like talking about other people as a way of bonding. And that is not good. And I have worked to eliminate and shift those relationships and conversations. So be aware. Maybe you already know a way that you find yourself into negative talk. And if not, go through the rest of your day, your week, your life. <laughs> Checking in. Oh, 
what am I saying here? How does that feel? How could I shift that? All right. Keep on listening to more episodes or I'll catch you here next week with another awesome guest.